Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Hello and welcome back. I am Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. That's one of those things that you hear from week to week, and you wonder why would two guys get together and talk about the things of eternity, especially on a day like today, Corey. It is Sunday afternoon, and I imagine right about now the Chiefs are playing in a playoff <laughs> football game. Somewhere. And um, I... People will have known if they lost by now when, they they, when this comes out. They yeah. will. Yeah. But um, there was a time in my life when there was no way I would want to miss that game. Mm. And I'm not saying that to brag about myself or where I'm at, but what a joy it is to find something that, just tickles your fancy, man. That yeah. just gets you yeah. excited and wanting to um, ah, just intrigues your mind. And that's what I, I'm thankful to God and thank you, Lord, that your scriptures and the things of eternity have that I've come to a point in my life where I want to know more about those. And I've got so far to go. That's not that's not bragging. It's mm. I'm just feel like I'm barely even touching yeah. the surface. And and I think, Corey, I still do this for the wrong reasons a lot of times. I'll, I'll admit that. It's uh it is intriguing to me, but there's only one reason that you and I should be here talking about these things, and that's because we recognize and we know that our hearts have to be completely changed to be hearts like Jesus Christ, do you know what a great, a great um, standard that is, mm. and how um, difficult that is? How far my my sinful heart needs to go to reflect the heart of Jesus? It's mm. it's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible for me to do under my own strength unless I'm attached to the vine. And that attaching to the vine is the key. And whatever that looks like, it means that I get my source for everything I do from my Father in heaven, from my Creator. And that looks different for each one of us, but it also looks the same for each one of us. How do we tie into that vine? It, it involves so many things, you know, repentance and suffering and being chastened by a loving Father and all of those things. But those are all the things we talk about, right? And mm-hmm. is that why uh, I know that's why? You are here as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I we were talking, I think, before we started recording about, you know, the fact that our, our salvation is only because of this gracious, infinite God who wanted us to spend eternity with him, and, and there was only one way, and that was if our sin was removed. And and how do we, how do we understand that in its perfection, and what is the right response to that you know we see both extremes in our in our world you know some people say hey jesus did it all on the cross there's nothing i have to do Mm -hmm. Um, some people say no do these things and you'll get a higher station in the eternity you know there's sort of a a works uh added to salvation attitude and and where is the answer What, what what where is there a middle ground is that even the right question to ask that's what I wanted to ask, Corey. And because our Sunday school class where I go to church, we were talking about faith for the last four weeks. And because of some comments today, I again saw that a lot of these comments, a lot of these pathways of thinking, they all end up at the same intersection. And you get there in the middle of this intersection, this little roundabout, if you will, from a different way, from a different thought process. But but we end up there oftentimes again and again and again. And in the middle of this big roundabout, I picture this, just this, this big box with this question in it. And it's, it seems to be that what you just said, how do I say that Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith without um, saying, I don't need to do anything that Jesus does everything. And yet, how do I rely on him to be my savior um, without doing anything, without realizing that there's, there's something I need to do? Because there is something I need to do. But 
But at the same time, how do I not get involved with the whole um, works thing and levels of eternal reward, you know, and star, moon, and sun, and all of that that goes to those that were that were greater and more valiant and everything, you know? And how do you look at those people or those standards and then say, well, I need to be more valiant, you know? And you put pressure on yourself and that kind of thing. And it's just... Uh, what it comes down to is I have to learn, you know, I want to know how to trust God and how to allow Jesus to change my heart. And I, at the same time, um, realize that I, I can't do it on my own. And even see, these are just words. We just, I fuddle about even trying to express the question. I don't know. Um, I don't know no, if you're, you're, sense or not. You're doing it's, a good job because that's, that's the ultimate question. I've, come to the conclusion in my own recent contemplating that uh, we as the Gentiles who received the Book of Mormon, I mean, and this sounds kind of trite, didn't, re- didn't realize what a big gift we were given, but that's what I want to say, but, but I want to say it for this reason. We weren't just supposed to say, hey, we have the Bible and we have the Doctrine and Covenants and we have the Book of Mormon and they're, and they're all good books. The Book of Mormon... I believe answers those questions beautifully and simply. And it was supposed to be the answers that we would all see eye to eye on because God brought this book to us so that we could have, as Nephi explained, the same plain, precious, pure gospel given to the Gentiles as went out in his day when he shared the message and when he got his disciples lined up in a row and they were all telling the same story. They were sharing the same message about God and love and salvation and, and what it means, what it was and what it wasn't. Um, and yet we've turned it into conversations and arguments of theology that weren't supposed to be there. And we get ourselves caught up in that because I think we don't, or as a people, we haven't been taught, no, there is a primary source for these answers it's called the Book of Mormon, and we need to understand that first. That needs to be our mantra. And we haven't done that. At least I haven't done that. And and as we've said from time to time, the Book of Mormon's becoming this new book to me. And, and you, it's like I'm realizing that these questions about salvation and the grace and the works and all these things that we think are, are a, an argument that we're supposed to have and scratch our heads over – no, they were all resolved because we've turned them into arguments because of lack of understanding. It provides the understanding that we lack so that we understand how to come to Christ and, and how to receive that salvation. So I think the answers go back to opening the Book of Mormon, reading it, and and doing it without the paradigm of everything else we've heard first. Just read what it says and then form your understandings and opinions from that. So I sit here today, Corey, and um, I don't know how to—I don't know how to talk about what's on my mind without just being transparent. Yes, I don't want to be super transparent to the whole entire world, but let's just say I represent every man you know on this earth at some point in time. So I'm sitting here today across from you, and I've got—I've got a desire to talk about the kingdom. You know, that's a good thing. I guess that's a good thing. Um, I have a desire to to read the word and to try to figure out what it's saying. And, and that's a good thing. Um, but do I have a desire? I have somewhat of a desire to have my heart changed so that I can love other people deeper and more selflessly. But I have to admit when I say that I have that desire that I feel there are some reins, you know, like a horse reins, like some reins on me pulling me back when I want to lean into that desire. Because when I have that desire, um, that involves uh, some sacrifice and pain on my part um, to be hurt, um, to, to give up my time, you know, to give up my physical body, to maybe serve someone else, to give up my spirit uh, to be hurt by someone else as I invest in them, as I try to love them more. And so that desire is bridled, is, is 
Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going headlong into that, you know, full force. Hey, I'm ready to do whatever it takes. There is a, there's a battle there when it comes to that part. And so I think every man is battling with that part of how much of myself can I submit to God uh, and how much do I do I hold back for my own selfish purposes? And that's really a battle. And so we know, or we would all agree, that we have to love selflessly. We have to love like Jesus loves. But I think what we don't agree on or where our minds are all probably in different places is when we ask ourselves, um, how do I get there? You know, how do I allow God to change me? And, um, you know, do I... And that's where you can really get messed up in the works thing. Like, you know, I can just go out and become a workaholic and I'm going to serve at the soup kitchen and I'm going to go over here and donate clothes and I'm going to go clean up these people's yards and I can do all of these things for people. And, um, and, and, but do I ever, am I doing it for my own selfish purpose because I want to have a great reward or, or not, or, you know, that's, that's where the nitty gritty, you know, how do I change or do I just, do I sit in my room and do I just stay on my knees and just pray to my Lord and read his word and hope that he changes my heart? I don't, I don't think either one of those things are right, but but I I don't have the answer. I'm just trying to put myself in this place where I think a lot of us are, you know, end up and that's that battle over what submission or I don't know, but, um, doesn't even that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> Just like you're looking at me over there, like I don't know where you're at. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, this life becomes overcoming the will of the flesh, and this is something the Book of Mormon teaches. You know, some time back we talked about how the Jews are finding um, Christ through Isaiah 53, and how that had been hidden from them, and Abinadi's words, he is a master. He's an authority of this. He's quoting Isaiah 53 to these people who eventually kill him. But he explains how, he said, I want you to understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. And because he dwells in the flesh, he shall be called the son of God. And what's interesting, and this is interesting on many levels because there's a poetic level to this that oh, I won't even get into it right now, but the, the parallels of understanding the will, our will is compared to the flesh. Overcoming the will um, is kind of compared to salvation. And and God is presented in two parts. God is presented as the father who's who's the perfect father, the, the perfect God, and God is presented as that same person who now took on flesh, but subjected the flesh to the will of the Father. And, and that's an important verse. It's Mosiah 8:30. God did something that none of us have been able to do, and that's live in a body of flesh and have the flesh perfectly conform to the will of the Father. Because when we don't conform, it's called sin, right? And this whole life challenge becomes, can my flesh conform to the will of the Father, right? And, and <clears throat> our, our flesh by itself is powerless to have salvation. Our flesh, because we sinned, me- meant that we were forever cast out from God's presence. The only way we could be with him was for him to assume the same station as us. He took on flesh and dying in the hands of his own creation paid, satisfied a law that we didn't even know existed, satisfied a law that said, hey, now our sinful flesh uh, can be replaced with immortal flesh. Our sinful souls can have the sin that was red like scarlet be washed white as snow. And, And somehow he was able to do that. But what is our response to that? What is our response? Our response is, you know, we have to define the words. The, the grace part was the fact that he, on his own merit, chose to do this for us without us asking, without us doing. He knew that there was only one solution, and that was for him to take on flesh. But he didn't say, now you have to have, you know, quantify 853 
good works, because if you only have 852, that doesn't make it. He, he never defined it that way. He, he said something totally different. He said, if I provide this act, this is called mercy. If I don't provide this act, you succumb to justice. Justice means you get punished for your sin. The punishment was eternal separation. So he made mercy possible. You know, I used to think that somehow God was just this guy standing up there, kind of giving the thumbs up if he liked you or the thumbs down if he didn't like you. And you kind of fickle or moody and and just without a lot of, um, I, I don't know, I, I just felt like I could never make God happy, but I was hoping that somehow I'd squeak in, even though I kind of knew I didn't deserve it. But but I thought he kind of liked me, and I thought I kind of liked him, so he knows me. And I thought I was going to actually, like if you ever go to Disney World or someplace like this, uh, rather than waiting in the long line, if you go to this special booth, you can get a thing called a fast pass. And if, and if you get the fast pass, you can kind of short circuit the line and get right to the front and go in on the ride. I thought I was going to get one of those into heaven. And I didn't know why. I just felt like, well, maybe that's because I joined the the church or something. Maybe that's what did it for me. But he says this, and this is an interesting word. It's the word penitent. Um, Alma's explaining to his son in Alma 19 in the earliest version about how we are restored to what we wanted. If we wanted good things, we're restored to good things. If we wanted bad things, we're restored to bad things. That's what. That's what. Uh, that's what scares me. Well, <laughs> this yeah. should scare all of us. Because- yeah, but 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 it comes down to this, and it's it is not going to say it, it doesn't say that because you ever did something bad that you can't be. It's it comes down to this. We're judged by our works whether our heart was changed, and the people whose hearts weren't changed. It says. Justice exercises all of his demands. And then for the people whose hearts were changed, mercy claims all which is her own. Now, this is interesting because it uses his and her. Uh, That's a thing done in Hebrew poetry. I just learned about this week using the gender, the opposite genders to compare opposite ideas. It's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful example of the authenticity of the words here, but I digress. I I don't, but I do, Mm -hmm. but, but it concludes saying, Hey, the ones whose hearts weren't changed, justice gets all those. The ones whose hearts were changed, mercy claims. Now, no place in here is it quantifying your works. It's looking at the sum total of it. Where is your heart changed? And only God can judge. But this is how it concludes. It says, and thus none but the truly penitent are saved. This is Alma 19, verse 106 in the RLDS version. None but the truly penitent. None who are except the ones that you just described of yourself, Mike, saying, man, I feel bad about the things I've done that are wrong. I feel bad about transgressing. I feel bad about you know the, the times when I haven't been everything I'm supposed to be. I want to be more loving. All that is what penitence means. You know, has, has God's spirit worked on your heart to the point where you feel like that? And the point is, if it does, we become the thief on the right hand of Jesus on the cross who he says, Hey, you're going to be with me in paradise, you know? I think so. Listening to you say the word again, which again, it's always going back to the word. And and just, it's amazing how we we forget these things. We have to constantly be reminded of them, Corey. And it's really, it gives me peace as you read through those. So when I was talking about this roundabout, you know, I picture all of these roads leading into this, this circle, you know, and you get in these never ending roundabouts and then you get off whatever, but we often get to the same place and we're, we're talking about different things, but we're talking about the same thing. And so we're standing in the middle of this roundabout and what we're talking about, what needs to take place at that, in the middle of that intersection is we need to have a changed heart. And we say that so often. And so I guess my, my statement would be this, I have to trust Jesus to change my heart. I can try to change my own heart and fail. Um, I can try to change other people's hearts and I'm going to fail, but I have, and that's what to me, and when it says Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, that I am completely relying on him to change my heart. Now, I don't know how that's going to take place or when it's going to take place. And we don't always know what it looks like or what it feels like either. Yeah, or the pace, you know, how how fast or how slow he's going to change my heart. Yeah. 
But all I can do is each day try to be involved in his word, um, pray to him, spend time with my brothers in the faith, such as yourself, uh, discussing the word, um, spend time trying to be kind to other people. And, and at the same time, you know, as all of this is going on in my mind and in my heart of hearts, crying out to the Lord and say, I trust you to change my heart because, um, you know, as it is now, I, I'm trying to love people as best as Mike Barrett can love people. But what I want to happen is I want to love people as best as Jesus can love people uh, in the body of Mike Barrett. Right. And so that is complete. As imperfect as that's going right. to be for all of us. And I guess that's, I feel, I feel some relief now because again, in class, it's uh, today, it just, uh, you hear different things and we're all kind of talking around, but, but we often say it's all about the changed heart. And we, and, and that is so true, but that it's almost like you say that and you don't want it to be treated lightly. And, and we don't, we don't, I think mean that at all, but people can, you know, you hear something so often you're like, yeah, 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 I know a changed heart, but it's like, no, really like your heart has to become the heart of Jesus. Do you realize what an accomplishment um, that is? And you know, the great thing is that Jesus says this, I am mighty to save. Mighty to save. There is nothing else to hang your head on. I am mighty to save. You can't change yourself. Right. And so I think the, the 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 very point of it is this, you know, what do I need to do in my life so that Jesus can change my heart? I think that's it. That's the question. Boy, it's, sometimes it's so hard to get to that. That's it. Right. What do I need to do in my life so that you can change my heart? Not what do I need to do in my life to get a good reward? What exactly. do I need to do to prove that I'm righteous? No. The only question we need to ask is, what in my life do I need to do, Lord, so that you can change my heart to be you, mm-hmm. that you can be in me? Or um, to be your hands and feet in this existence. Yeah, and we say that, and it's like, so that's the question. What What do I need to do to allow you to change my heart? It's like... I, I think it's just so easy to get off course when we say that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our of our faith and that he's mighty to save. And then in the next breath, we turn around and we try to save ourselves. Well, you're and, right. And, we, and we, don't, we don't label it like that, but our whole life reflects that. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because to just add on to your thought there, where the commandments come in is... Jesus answers the question that you just asked by by giving these beautiful, and especially for his day when he came out of this mosaic culture where, hey, if, if you knock someone's tooth out, you get your tooth knocked out. Um, he's coming up with these ideas that say, hey, if your neighbor asks you to walk them out, well, go too with them. If if someone yells at you, they revile you, don't yell back. You know, he's, he's asking he, he's giving us the answer to that question by saying, if you want your heart to change, this is these are the things to do. And so he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So he's saying, hey, if you want your heart to change, be merciful. Um, if you want to be called the children of God, be a peacemaker. He said, know that you're going to be persecuted for my name's sake. All these things come from Matthew 5. He said, you'll be blessed when people revile and persecute you and say all kinds of manner of evil against you for my name's sake and that you don't throw all that back to them. Um, All these things, you know, Jesus said, hey, hunger and thirst after righteousness and you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. He, He gives these clues to say, you know, these are the things that when you seek these things, they cause that change to be permanent, you know. You know, Corey, I told you this week I had a, I had a real bad day. You know, it was the day we was, I was going to go and interview Louise. I was off that day, but the day before was just, it was terrible. I got blindsided. You know what it's like. I yeah, know you know yeah, what it's like. Yeah. You know how you're, it's like you're, uh, 
to give an analogy, you know, you're just walking down the street and you're sipping your Arizona iced tea in your hand and, uh, you know, you're you're enjoying the clouds and, and it's like... Not looking for trouble. <laughs> not looking for trouble. And it's like this 18-wheeler goes by and runs through a puddle and you just get doused with muddy water, you know, and hits you in the face and you're spitting out sand and dirt and you're like, where in the world did that come from? Yeah. That happens from time to time and it's probably why every Monday morning I feel like I'm going to uh, kindergarten for the first day. I call (laughs) it the Sunday night blues and it's like every Monday morning when I go out into the world I know I know that there is an 18 wheeler coming down the road. Yeah (laughs) and I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm going to avoid it today if it's going to hit me today but you know from time to time you're going to get smacked in the face. Well this came along on Thursday and blindsided me. And so I had I had to choose, you know, how to respond in a number of situations. And those are the times when it's like, I know I'm a minister, and I know I'm a child of God, and I know I'm a Christian, and I know people are watching me, but it doesn't make it any any easier. And those are the times, I think, when you, you said Jesus says, be merciful, you know, be kind. I guess those are the times when you just have to choose and it's really hard. I'm going to just completely leave this in your hands, Lord, and trust that it'll work out. Okay. Yeah. Amen. I don't know. So there's a lot of, and and I know every one of us goes through these things. Yeah. You know, every one of us has trials that, right. What's the funny thing about the trials is that none of us really ever want the trials, but even more so, None of us could have predicted the trials that we're facing. You know, not not any of us could have said, you know, I couldn't have said two years ago the trials that I'm facing right now that oh have gosh. just been been very, very difficult. And it's like, but I realize I'm not unique in this. It's like everyone's trials are that way. And so it comes down to this idea that in whatever temptations we're facing, whatever difficulties, whether it's at work or in the home or sometimes it's both, um, that we can look back and say, okay, God, what is, what is your will? You know, about the time you were having that situation, Mike, I, I had one and not to go into too many details, but you know, I might, for my day job, I'm a contractor. So my employer is always some other company. And the, so I have many, many bosses and, and they're all, you know, good, good people, different people, they're project managers or engineers or whoever, who, who are the hiring company who use my services. But, um, in a situation where there's a man who's <clears throat> his uh his birth is not American he's he's from another culture and and the culture um I've I've known many people um he's from India actually I'll, I'll share this I've had many friends one of my best friends in high school is from India and everyone I've ever met has just been really loving and down to earth but I understand also part of their culture in some places not everyone but there's also a caste system that's taught. And some people are born being told, hey, you're better than this other person, you know. And and if that's ingrained in you, uh, I can't imagine what that's like because we're not taught that. Even though we might somehow think that, we're not told to ever be open about that. Or if you are, you're called a bully or whatever. But So so in our culture, it's different. And, and in our culture, I really believe that, you know, the, the measure of a man is how you treat somebody else who can do nothing for you in return. You know, if, if you want to be a good American, if you want to be a, a good person, a good Christian, you're, you're measured by how you treat other people, but specifically the people who can do nothing for you in return. Well, this, this man who's a currently uh, an employer of mine that by, by contract, anyhow, is not born in this culture. And I've, I've seen him interact with people. I've seen him interact with, with me. And it's just been very, very unusual because I think he carries some of this attitude that even though he doesn't realize that he's in America, that he, he wants to act that there's a caste system. And, and he's shared some things about his own life. And I can tell he's hurting, you know, he, he's been through divorce. He's been through some other, other trials, but there's a, a great insecurity. And I've seen him direct this towards other people, even, even me. And without going into a lot of details of that, just, just last week, there was a situation where this man had an explosive moment and he was just angry at everyone. He, he, he called me into his office and lashed out stuff at me. That was just kind of ridiculous. And I sat there and smiled and I listened to it. And I was thinking about what you're talking about, Mike, right then. And I thought, 
what can I do in this situation? I didn't ask for it. I, I wasn't looking for it. I don't deserve any of this stuff. I can just tell this guy is really, really hurting. And I felt the peace of Jesus Christ in that moment. I really did. Even though there are a hundred other things going on in my life right now that mm. I didn't feel peace. In this moment where I was just listening to this barrage of just weird things, in, a, in that moment, I just felt like God let me see in this person's soul. And it was all just washing off me like duck feathers and water. It was just like wow. none, of it, none of it was hitting me. None of it was, um, it, I was just feeling this total calm and this total peace. And when I was, when he was done, he was almost in tears because he was so upset. And I could tell it wasn't just, and I did nothing. I was just kind of the person who happened to be around and he's just like unloading stuff. But I could see a, a an insecure, hurting person in there. And in the end, I said, you know what? And I, I told him by name, I said, I don't think you get enough credit for the things you do. You know, you're really brilliant about things. And I, I wasn't trying to just like turn things around and say something that was false. But I realized that he, he was hurting for various reasons that he needed some healing. And in the end, here's here's two grown men. I, we stood up in his office and I wrapped my arms around him. He wrapped his arms around me. And he goes, thank you so much. You know, it's like he, this thing started out as this ugly conversation and ends up in a hug, me and this Indian man, you know, and I don't think he'd ever hugged anyone in this company before, you know, but it was just, um, it was this moment where I felt, and again, I felt so weak, Mike, in so many days and hours of my life recently. But in that moment, I felt like somehow God gave me his, his love and his eyes, and it made the difference in that moment. And I, I think if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody, you know? That, that, and I didn't ask for the trial, but I realized that in that moment, God gave me the strength to endure it. That's, I don't, I mean, I don't know how to even say that, that that's absolutely true. If he can do it for you, he can do it for anybody. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how God chooses at different times to, it feels like we find, we find that grace in the moment. And then other times we feel like, and I know you've shared this, you know, in, in the, the weeks and months in the past, like other times you're like, where are you? Why, why are you not um, coming through for me? You know? And yeah. then times like that, you, yeah, then you have that experience, but it all comes down to this, you know, I, I either trust you with my life or I don't. And even if you slay me, I will trust in you because I have Amen. no other choice. Mm-hmm. And so he, he choose that's Mike, you know, that very scripture I've, I've had to say that in my head lately because I thought, do I believe it this much? Do I believe what Joe said? If he shall slay me yet, will I trust in him or though he will slay me? Yeah. You know, it's like, how do we get to that point? I remember one. So I was driving down the road and, um, I was thinking about my brother going through this trial and this thought came into my head, Corey, and it was one of those times where it just pops in from nowhere, you know, and I said, it, it was this question, said, what are you going to hang your hat on? And I don't even use that phrase. And I, I was just thinking, I thought, what are you going to hang your hat on? And at that moment, I, I had to make a choice and I, I thought, God, I have to trust that you are a loving God, that none of this took you by surprise that you are gonna, um, you, you are gonna help everything work out to your glory, and that's all I could say. And I thought, if I can't hang my hat on that, then nothing I believe in is worthwhile. Yeah. And it was just, I think that was the morning where um, we talked about fasting at different times. That was the morning when I was I was talking with a brother that I decided not to eat the rest of the morning and just to be with the Lord and his spirit because it came in a very powerful way. And I just, mm-hmm. it was one of those times where you don't set out to say, I'm not, I'm going to fast today because I need this or that. It was just, I don't want anything to cloud my mind. I don't want to have a post food coma. I don't want to have my blood rushed in. I, I want to just be hungry. You know, I, I just want to be here with you, Lord, right. nothing to even interrupt that. Right. It was just one of those moments. And so all of that being said, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter if, if if I have the story like you just had or if this is one of those times where you just suffer and you say, God, where are you? Um, what matters is that we, we have made that commitment in our life that though you slay me, I will trust in you. Because Or when they said, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and people were like, blasphemy, you know, uh-huh. I can't be with you. Are you going to leave me? Are you going to leave me, my friends? Where yeah. else would we go? Yeah, where else would we go? I don't know. Yeah, isn't that it? It, it? It's like, Lord, I don't know. I don't understand why I'm being drugged through the mud. 
you obviously know I'm being drugged through the mud, but it's not about me. And that's what it comes down to is that there are some days where we all wonder why and what and how and how come and all these things about mm-hmm. the trials. And, and if Job's story is provides any answers for us, it's that some guy, some days God has a need to explain it to us and other days he doesn't. The, the point is our integrity. Well, we just maintain that attitude, Lord, I'm, I'm going to keep marching on. I'm going to keep going and I'm not going to get diverted from what I believe is true and everlasting about your, your work and your purpose. And so even if things don't make sense to me, well, that's probably because I have a finite limited mind. And so, right. You know, I, I know if you're, you know, if, if you were God yesterday, you're still God today. And so therefore I've, I've got to believe this. Yeah. What are you going to hang your hat on? You know, you, you mentioned something too, coming back to this idea of salvation. I know this is a topic that we've talked about before and we'll talk about again, uh, because it's, Hey, it's the underlying, (laughs) it's the underlying part of everything. We we know. Yeah. It's all that matters. But this, um, what I, what I was going to say is the reason the book of Mormon to me be becomes so important in this conversation is because if, if we don't believe it and if we think, Hey, salvation is this thing where we get levels based on our, our, our works is infinite or as finite rather as they might, might be. We, we have to discount that the, the book of Mormon never presents salvation that way. The book of Mormon presents our sin is washed away or it's not. It's it's all or nothing. And that's how it's presented. But when we come to that understanding that God says, no, I want to fully restore you to my presence, it helps the whole idea of the grace and works. It puts that back into perspective. And and again, he if we don't come to that understanding, it, it makes salvation a difficult subject, right? It does. It does, Corey, and and I don't want to keep beating the same subject, but again, we're going to come back to this over and over. What you just said, I want to restore you, right? I want to restore you. That gets really, and I'm still messed up in my mind from the years of being like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna not be able to cleanse you from everything. You're never going to be with me in my kingdom. You know, I've prepared a son and I've prepared some angels to minister to you. And but yeah, that's the level but, of your salvation. And, and I can, just gotta jump on that and say for anyone listening, you know, we've talked about this before because that what we think the doctrine of covenants was saying about that isn't really what it was mm-hmm. saying. We've shared this as an oral Mm -hmm. tradition, part of the restoration, but I got something I need to say about the word restoration too. But, but Alma just states this so beautifully. He says, God would have ceased to be God if he would have done anything outside of the laws. The laws are that, Hey, if you aren't come, if you don't come to Jesus, justice claims you. But if you do come to Jesus, mercy claims you. And, and this is what it says. It says, but God ceases not to be God. Mercy claims the penitent. Okay, so so it, it it defines what is it? Is it a number of works? No, it's an attitude that we are everything you've said. We're we're penitent. We're we're sorry about our sins. We realize we transgressed, and God, the holy God, made the offering for us. Right? If that doesn't cause you to reflect on your own wicked state, nothing will. So. Not a number, but an attitude. Yeah. Not a number, but an attitude. I just wrote that down. It's the same way with repentance. It's not the number of bad things you've done. It's who are you? It's, yeah, yeah. It's not and, a number of good things. It's your attitude. You know, are you wanting to be? Yeah, okay. And, yep. and so as, this is why I love the Book of Mormon so much, because it, it, it shows where that attitude makes a difference. God did the work of providing the mercy to open the door back to heaven. But those who get to walk through it are the penitent. It says mercy claims those. Mercy comes because of the atonement. In other words, there is mercy because of the atonement. That's how that door got opened. The atonement brings to pass the resurrection of the dead, and the resurrection brings people back to God's presence. And and here's that word you used. And thus they are restored unto his presence to be judged according to their works. So did the works show that we were penitent? Did the works show that our hearts were changed or did they not? And that's all it can do. So 
justice exercises his demands and mercy claims hers. That's how the that's how it's divided up. Judged on our works to determine were we penitent, were we humble, were we wanting to overcome the will of the flesh. Hey, Corey, let me ask you this. I was, I was just, you know, as you talk and I jot down notes and I think, you know, what's the title for this podcast? What's the title for this episode? You know, how do we sum it up? In 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 my mind, I've got this picture of all of us standing, you know, in the middle of this intersection, and, and the same thing has to take place for each one of us. We all got here in different ways, but it has to take place, and that's our hearts have to be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just wrote down two two things. It's like my part is question mark, and God's part is, and that's I think where the debate yeah. uh, happens a lot, and yeah. that's where things get muddied, and where we get levels of works and all of that. What that's a good what division. What is my part? Yeah. So, what would so, you say your part is? Well, and it's exactly no, no easy. Answer. It's but but it's exactly <laughs> the question, right? And it's exactly the the thing that it's reduced down to, and that's what the Book of Mormon answers so well. It, if I if I believe what the Book of Mormon says, and this is you know Alma nineteen RLDS version, where Alma's explaining to his wayward son this process of being restored to God's presence. Yeah, I want to. I want to try to attempt the question first. What is God's part? God's part was He stepped out of eternity into time, took on flesh and blood like us, and and by dying, it satisfied an eternal law. Whether we realized it existed or not isn't really the question. But there was a law that says we couldn't be back in God's presence unless the eternal God sacrifices Himself for the sinful man. And so he did that. That was the God part, right? And he says, mercy doesn't just say, hey, you all come back to heaven. Here's the deal. It isn't that I just have to believe God exists and somehow I'm in, because that's kind of a message. That's the cheap grace, all right? Our part is this. It's not that there's nothing I have to do. What we realize now is that there's nothing I could have done. Man couldn't have said, I'm sorry enough. Man couldn't have done enough good works. So the, the atonement had to make had to happen. That's what opened the door. But our response, what do I have to do, is to do the works of Christ. That is to keep the commandments, not because the works save us, but because the works help our heart to change, right? The works, you know, if we become merciful to those who are not merciful to us, that's changing my heart. The works help our heart to change. Yeah, that's the point of it. And and that's what I'm just realizing. I'm not saying I've known this lifelong. That's the part I'm coming to understand now by reading the Book of Mormon anew. The works help our heart to change because we know God did his part. But somehow, from what I gather from the scriptures, as I continually look on the works that what God did, as I continually look, talk about someone, you know, how does someone treat someone that can do nothing back to them? We look at how did God treat us when we can do nothing to help God? Exactly. So somehow by continually placing my eyes on that, by continually reading about that in his word and continually focusing on that, I believe the scriptures say by doing that, my heart will change. And and that involves how I treat other people, too. And is, is it really as simple as that? Is that all there is, is that I need to be merciful to my brothers and sisters, yeah. even though I don't feel like it? And yeah. that, that will then change my heart? I think so, because I think what the idea is that the mercy that God did, if we could measure it, would measure infinity times infinity. And he's saying the mercy we can do to each other can be measured by like a penny. Okay. I mean, we can show a, a minute amount of mercy, but, but that's what God asks. It can never compare to his mercy, uh, you know, on a scale of one to infinity. But the point is that by demonstrating mercy, we're showing, we want to be like him. We want to overcome the will of the flesh. The will of the flesh will always say, don't be merciful. The will of the flesh will always say, you know, be selfish. The will of the flesh will always say, you know, steal from your neighbor rather than love your neighbor. These are the things that God says, this is what life's challenge is. So when you, when a person works out, you know, you run, you lift weights, you swim, you, you do whatever. It's interesting because the effect of muscle growth only happens when the muscles push or pull against some kind of resistance, right? The resistance might be gravity, 
right? Or the resistance might be lifting a weight or moving your own body, you know, by running, but they have to push against something. And by pushing against something, the muscles develop tone and strength, right? So I, and, and this is just my thought, it might not be true or it might not be a real good analogy, but I think the works of life and the trials of life are, are very much like in the physical exercise in that our soul, God's saying, if you want your soul to grow, if you want your heart to change, guess what? It's going to have to come smack up against a resistance. You know, if, if you want to learn how to be merciful, you're going to have to be put in situations where the natural response is to not show mercy. If you want to be, you know, loving, uh, like Jesus said, you know, to your neighbor, well, you you might have bad neighbors sometimes, right? And and that's the <laughs> that's the point of life when it comes down. You know to what's it. crazy is that uh, why then, and so often, our prayer life is this: Oh Lord, you know, remove this burden, yeah, remove right, these right, right. from me, Re- yeah. remove this thorn <laughs> in my side, and it's like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm I not know, gonna. because. Because you need to have resistance. In other words, that's a great way to say the Lord, probably the Lord chastens those that he loves. That's it. Uh, I'm going to provide a few more pounds of weight on the barbell because you have to push hard in order to uh, to develop that spiritual. Um, th- these, you know, these sound like conversations that go round and round and we have from time to time, but I think they're the conversations that... The, these things are those simple things that all mankind, including me, struggle with over and over. And no matter where you're at in life, you know, it's like you think you've got it and you've got a hold on it. And, and that truck comes by again and just splashes you with the muddy water in the face. And um, and that's God's pattern. I think also when we talk about all of this, hanging over my head in the room, you know, over the whole conversation is this umbrella of the examples in scriptures where it seemingly, you know, people have this run in with God and just are changed on a dime and they have this great transformation. And, and they never want, fall back. You never yeah, see it. And you're back. like, why, what, what am I doing wrong? That that doesn't take place in my life, you know? And, and maybe I'm looking for that, but I think by and large, we have a few stories of a few people out of all of the billions of people that were that were born and that lived on this earth that we never see those stories. Right, and right. so, scriptures aren't written about us, but it's the story of the common man. It's a slow yeah, process. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate you, Corey, just uh, engaging me in this question for this episode. Uh, it was something that came up in Sunday school again today and, and got my mind going. And, and you know what? I hope we <laughs> I hope we didn't confuse our listeners because it's my mind gets confused even asking the right question. But the question is, you know, what do I need to do to have my heart changed? And what is my part and what is God's part? And how do we not get diverted into works? And how do we not get... Um, messed up by the theology we were taught that there's different levels of heaven and you know you go to where you go based on your works and that when we say man is judged by his works that we look at the number of things you've done or the quality of things you've done and you made this great quote it says uh the works um what says what did you say i wrote it down i repeated you like three times (laughs) i thought i wrote it down oh not a number but an attitude not a number but an attitude it's it's not, you know, how much you've done or who you've done it to or how many, but it's whether or not you're ever able to be penitent. Yeah. And that's, that's I think there's a parable that talks about the wages were the same for each each worker, regardless of when they came into the work. Um, I believe that refers to a little bit of what we're talking about, but yeah. the wages were the same. And so God just, he doesn't look at the pile of works you present to him. He just says where... Where is uh, your heart at and what do you desire? Yeah, yeah. So this is maybe a little off topic, but it isn't off topic because I know we've used this word restored to his presence and we talk about us being the restoration. And, you know, driving over here, I was thinking about this uh, again. It's been on my mind that when when we received the Book of Mormon, you know, we started using this word restoration, calling us the restoration because we believed, well, the church had been restored, priesthood restored, prophets restored, things like that. And so we're the restoration. But it's interesting because Nephi never uses that word to call the Gentiles the restoration. 
he talks about the restoration of when the process is finally complete, when Israel, when his people come back, when we're all gathered to Zion, Jew and Gentile, when we all see eye to eye, that's the restoration he's talking about. And it's kind of like, there's this little saying that, you know, well, chocolate comes from trees and trees are plants and plants make salad. Therefore, chocolate is salad. You know, <laughs> you, get, you get this correlation. We, we've done this a little bit, I think, with this word restoration thing. Well, you know, the the gospel came back to us and we have the priesthood and we have the church. And <laughs> so we're, we're the restoration, right? I, uh, you just took me back to a size as a... Uh, <laughs> Another way to say it is rain makes corn, corn makes whiskey, whiskey makes my baby frisky. <laughs> <laughs> that works. I too. think that was a country yeah. song that came out ago. a couple a couple years ago. Well, I heard it. And I laughed one. at the ridiculousness. <laughs> anyway, sorry. yeah, but it's but it's what's interesting is I, the reason I bring this up at all is that um, God's work in the restoration did not start and end somehow in 1830, and now it's complete. And now we're just trying to tell the world the church was restored. No. This was the seed planted to become the ongoing process by which the world would know these things we're talking about. So they would be restored to a proper understanding of our relationship, the proper place of, of grace and works, um, the proper uh, way to know how to come to God and worship him. All these questions were answered in the Book of Mormon. And so this story of restoration has just begun. And, uh, you know, this idea that, you know, yeah, we, we call ourselves the restoration and with good reason, but, but just to realize the restoration isn't complete yet. We're, we're, we've got to share this message and it's not just to tell the world, Hey, we have the book of Mormons, God's God's book. It's to tell these messages that are taught in it because that's how we get restored to him when we understand how the attitudes we're supposed to have. In reading the Book of Mormon, I, I have to believe then that, you know, this simple question that I asked today, like how does our heart change, that that it tells us in there that the plan for allowing the Lord to change your heart is there and his plan for restoration is there of, of the world and of you personally to him. And it's a marvelous story. Uh, again, it's it's about each individual having a changed heart and coming to him and being with him in his kingdom forever or being damned and cut off forever. And that's a very clear message in the Book of Mormon, but it tells how to do it. I have to believe this, and it's there, and I have to be in it each day. But it also tells us um, the story of the of all of his creation being restored to him. That's And that's the exciting thing, and... Um, we keep saying we're gonna we're gonna talk about what does the Book of Mormon say and get into some. And I know you've been looking at some really neat things about, you know, we all grew up learning about chiasms on a on some some level. Very some of us very very um, just on the fringe, knowing barely what they are, and we've seen a few examples. And then there's other, um, Corey. I know you've gotten into some just some other examples of Hebrew poetry that are uh, present in the Book of Mormon that Joseph um, probably had no idea about. No idea. What, what, no idea. I know at some point we want to get into that. Yeah, we're going to have to go next time, I, I guess. And I'd, I'd love to share on that because, I mean, it's just one of these things, like you say, Joseph Smith, I mean, he never said in his day or even the generation after him, oh, well, look, you can see all these chiasms and all these poetic structures that were part of the Hebrew, you know, um, lingual uh, system, I guess, uh, linguistics. It's not anything that the people of the first generation of the church were even aware of. And even just the study and the awareness of the Hebrew poetic um, form isn't something that even the, the old scholars knew. It's like scholars of our day are just beginning to uncover these things mm. who are not even connected to the Book of Mormon. Uh, you mentioned chiasms. I, I learned that chiasm is one of about 40 different Hebrew techniques that are available in the writing. And as I'm reading a, a couple books on this stuff right now, uh, and some of it goes into a lot of depth, but but I'm finding that every time they give an example of something of a Hebrew poetic structure, and I'm not talking chiasm, I'm talking about other things, parallelisms and and opposites and things that they would use to convey meaning. 
they're all in the Book of Mormon. Every single every single type that they bring up is in the Book of Mormon. I, re- I remember the day you called me on the phone and said you were really excited and you were like, I'm discovering like all of these parallels in the Book of Mormon. And mm-hmm. you used the word parallel and you read off a bunch of them. And, and I know you put them in the final prophecy and I, I was looking at them today. You were excited about these examples and um, a lot of it, some of it was in the context of, you know, eternal life where we were like, look, you're either saved and salvation means what it says, salvation, which means you are with the Father on his right hand for eternity, or you are not. And and that's played out over and over in the Book of Mormon, these opposites, these parallels. And then when you said you saw these books um, and they're they're talking about the parallelisms and <laughs> Hebrew poetry, how yes. exciting that was for you. Oh my gosh, and if yeah. I hadn't known you and and been involved in that moment when you were coming to this realization on your, you know, on your own, but through the spirit, I believe of the Lord and then finding it in research later, you know, months later, that's pretty neat. But, um, I think that'll be really fun to talk about. Yeah. And you know, the nice thing is, is as we talk about it, we're going to get to open the word and actually read the word. And oh, whenever yeah. you and I are sitting here and just reading the word, those are like my favorite, uh, episodes and times because, there's just power when the word is read out loud, mine, even among two people. Mine too. It really is. And, and uh, what we'll try to do when we get to that uh, episode, um, I'll try to prepare some of these because it's one thing to hear them, but sometimes the amazing part happens when you actually see them because, mm. you know, sometimes like poetry, you know, you, you see the words that rhyme and they're all at the end of the sentence and you can see them in a list on the right. paper and, and that conveys some meaning just visually. Um, this does the same thing. And, and it's like, wow. Um, so I'll try to prepare some of those so we can have them in the show notes and, and, you know, link to them on uh, restored gospel so that they're there. But it's been, uh, Oh, I tell you, Mike, lately, my, my biggest problem is I feel like I can't focus because there's just so <laughs> many things from the learning about the ancient American cover up and the, in the, uh, the Hebrew connections to the native Americans and finding these, poetic structures that are just the, the top scholar, top Hebrew uh, linguistic scholars are, are, are just uncovering these things in, in our day and seeing it's all here. How do you say it wasn't true? How do you say this work wasn't true? Do you think, um, from what you're reading, do you think that that's just like this language God purposely used to, um, to get a message across, to help his word, to help his message, like, you know, a chiasm starts and then works its way towards the center. And then at the center is the main point. And then it kind of repeats itself and works its way back out, you know, stair step. Is this all kind of like that, that it like helps you understand God's word? Or is this just a group of people in a culture? That's how they wrote independent of what God was telling them that they just developed this, their own style or what do you think? Or well, is it a language of God that he used since they were Hebrew and they were his people early on? You know, that is a really deep and good question. And it's interesting because I, I read something about that just yesterday. Um, I can't say that it was the language of God, but what's interesting is that one of the scholars who, who wrote a book on Hebrew poetry that I'm, I'm reading or trying to trying to read right now, um, said this, he said, these poetic structures were not just used just as a manner of writing. Like, you know, if I was going to write a letter to my grandmother and tell her what I did yesterday, I wouldn't write it in a chiasm to her. He said it, it was only done when the intent was to convey a higher meaning. Like if you were wanting to describe something of eternal value and in a purpose and a principle, the chiasms were used then to, to illustrate the points. Well, What's interesting is that, you know, not every verse in the Book of Mormon has uh, what you could say some notable Hebrew structure, but when you find them, it's exactly in the moments where a meaning is trying to be conveyed, a a lesson, an idea. Um, You know, you don't see a lot of chiasms when they're talking about Moroni and the battles and this stuff, because it's just a, a historical description. But when you get King Benjamin's sermon in the first three chapters of the earliest version of the Book of Mormon, the whole sermon is a chiasm after chiasm after poetry after poetry, every single verse. Every, um, from 3 Nephi 3 through 3 Nephi 13, uh, literally the, the descriptions of Jesus and the words of Jesus 
are all chiasms and poetry built on different levels. Because again, the point was to try to teach the meanings. Nephi does this. Nephi's psalm that we looked at before, I was just going through that yesterday. It's all in this beautiful poetic structure, even though it already seemed like a psalm. It's got all the characteristics that the Hebrews used when they said, hey, when you see us start to use this word type, we're trying to teach you a higher lesson, uh, something higher value. And that's exactly how it's used in the Book of Mormon as well. So um, that'll fit in nicely then with uh, with what did the Book of Mormon teach? And, yeah. and kind of as a side note, how did the Book of Mormon teach it? Or how does the Book of Mormon teach it? And what is it using to uh, emphasize the points it's trying to make? It's kind of a twofold thing to help us get important meaning on how to come to Christ and right. know, know him as the eternal. So Right, exactly. Well, very good, brother. Um I appreciate you listening today, and um, again, we are just two friends having conversation about the things of eternity, and, um, and this is what we do. We talk about these things. Sometimes we have questions based on our moods. Sometimes things happen during the week that cause us to question and, um, and talk things out to maintain our faith in God. We enjoy inviting all of you into that, and hopefully these things bless you as you go through them. Um, yeah, remember, thanks for being with us. Remember, we are just, Corey, walking each other home. Be good to one another. Find someone to uh, to be good to. Till next time, God bless.